Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. Thank you for joining me talking about the Spanish Grand Prix on this episode and looking ahead to Canada next week. Um, Hope everyone's going to enjoy their long weekend. If you're here in Australia, um, wherever you are in the world, hope you're doing all right, having a good time. A lot going on in the UK at the moment. I see the the World Test Championship final, which I've been enjoying. A couple of sessions here and there, watching the Aussies um, kind of dominate India, which is really good. Um, and a lot of good music festivals on too, which makes me quite envious. And seeing some of the lineups for things like Download, for example, um, and seeing a lot of bands that I really love on there is making me quite <laughs> quite envious. But anyway, let's get into the show. Um, it's been an interesting couple of weeks again, and uh, Spanish Grand Prix. It was pain in Spain for. Everyone probably except for Red Bull and Max Verstappen and maybe Mercedes as well because they um, seem to do all right, their best result for the season and perhaps some vindication of those upgrades as well. But when you look at the likes of Ferrari, Aston Martin, McLaren, um, they all had pretty challenging weekends, so uh, not great for them. But the unbeaten run continues for Red Bull in 2023 and... I guess, without sounding, you know, like I'm prophesizing here or anything, uh, I probably was more of an optimist whenever anyone would come out and say, oh, well, you know, they'll easily win every single race this season, uh, them being Red Bull and um, Max Verstappen as well, considering the form, the rich vein of form he's in. I was probably more optimistic. I still am optimistic that, you know, under the right circumstances, we might see um, uh, someone else win. And the fact for that is that, you know, there's how many, there's still, you know, 18 odd races or 16 odd races to go this season. Um, There's so many variables. You've got uh, insane street circuits yet to come with the likes of Singapore, Hungary's always one to toss up some excitement if there's weather, um, how's everyone going to go at Las Vegas as well, so there's just too many variables to then sit here and say, oh look, you know, they'll win every race, if everything, you know, goes to plan and, you know, it's, it's, you know, a, a traditional no frills sort of race where as we've seen the last couple of Grand Prix there've been no safety cars there've been no retirements either so you know I see that a lot of people look into that as being a negative thing they want to see action they want to see drama but I guess that also you can praise the reliability of the cars at the moment and perhaps you know you know at the same time, praise the driving standards that, you know, people are being a lot more, uh, drivers are being a lot more um, well-behaved out there, but then perhaps they could also be playing very cautiously as well, because remember, we're in a cost-cap era, and, you know, any sort of um, additional damage and whatnot, whatnot um, unnecessary damage is looked upon pretty harshly, and, you know, you can just look at Mick Schumacher last year with the Haas team, and, uh, Gunter Steiner <laughs> kind of adding up the the dollar value of everything, all the crashes that Schumacher had last year. But anyway, 
Max commanded the race from pole position. It was another grand slam for him, uh, fastest lap, leading every lap, and you know taking a comprehensive 24-second win as well ahead of Mercedes, who really were the buoyant team of the weekend. Um, apart from Verstappen and Red Bull, uh, we had Lewis Hamilton finishing second ahead of George Russell. Um, Russell's first podium since uh, Brazil last year, since his win, and you know second podium for Hamilton as well, and. Uh, the result for them being on the podium together got them ahead of Aston in the Constructors' Championship as well, so we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but it was a good one for them this weekend, a kind of a validation that the direction that they've gone in with their um, car and their upgrades is positive and Barcelona is kind of that litmus test for any kind of car and that's why they traditionally do their pre-season testing there or they have for many years until uh, switching over to Bahrain in recent times and if you have a good car there you're guaranteed to have a strong car wherever you go Um, so good for Mercedes to be kind of there and it's a <clears throat> sorry, slow road to recovery, really. We can't expect them to be in that championship battle just yet or to be fighting for the win. But I look back at something I said at the start of the season and going into the ATR penalty that Red Bull will have to face, um, when it, you know, when exactly will it impact them and will it actually impact them? But I sort of suggested that if it were to impact them we could see a you know Braun GP 2009 sort of situation where it was actually Red Bull the team that you know with who were able to outdevelop Braun Braun obviously because of their budget and limited um, facilities couldn't quite you know sustain that sort of dominance that we saw at the start of the season and at the end of the year it was Red Bull the team to beat in 2009 so I'm just wondering if you know if the development is as limited for Red Bull this year which you know I also think probably won't be because Adrian Newey's a genius and they would have figured it out how to nullify that penalty but if by some chance they don't and you know Christian Horner and his you know prediction of the penalty being harsh is correct then we could see that gap closed by the end of the year sort of last quarter um which would give hope going into 2024 and it's it's kind of sad that you know we already have to start talking about 2024 and um looking forward to the prospect of a title fight or a, a challenge between multiple teams multiple drivers um then but then again we're halfway through we're halfway through 2023 it's june already so you know we always say where has the year gone um going back to barcelona though it was a race of strategy uh between everyone two stops really given that the removal of that final chicane um kind of made things a lot tougher for the tyres as well which was good to see and we would have two stops as well kind of what you know in this Pirelli era of of tyres in F1 multi-stop races is kind of what they've wanted but um, because teams are too smart and they'll end up you know finding weird ways of managing tyres and pace that they could you know eke out a one-stop strategy which hasn't really resulted in the best of racing that's a debate for another time Uh, but 
Yeah, we saw Carlos Sainz, who qualified on the front row of the grid, great in front of his home fans and everything as well, um, start on the soft tyre while Max was on the medium, but, you know, while there was a, you know, momentarily, momentarily there was a bit of an advantage for Sainz, uh, Max pretty much had him covered coming out of the turn one and two complex, and it was all over Red Rover, you've got to say, and while we're on the subject of Ferrari, what a weekend for them, not in a good way. Um, you've got to say that their upgrades that they brought to Barcelona were a colossal failure, and perhaps, you know, you could say that I'm being harsh, but team principal Frederick Vasseur as well kind of looked dejected Sunday evening, and kind of said as well, yeah, they were a massive failure. Uh, we did see, you know, the one shining light was Science qualifying on the front row, but you look at his teammate, Charles Leclerc, had probably one of his worst weekends in, in red, so um, it has never been this bad where he'll get knocked out on in Q1, just lacking pace overall, the felt like there was a problem with his car, that it was undrivable. They, you know, took it out of Parc Ferme after qualifying and made some changes to the setup and then put some new components in as well, which meant he had to start from the pit lane. But they couldn't really diagnose that if there was a problem or not with the car. So what's going on there? There's going to be a lot of question marks and whatnot as well around that. And I said last time when talking about um, the rumours that Ferrari are looking at signing someone like a Lewis Hamilton for 2024. They need to sort their car first before they start going after drivers. Drivers is not their problem, and they've got two very strong, capable drivers, you know. And when Signs was announced next to Leclerc, uh, replacing Sebastian Vettel back in 2020, um, for the 2021 season, a lot of people... You know, there were some people who were like, oh, you know, the youngest ever light up for Ferrari. This is, you know, this is silly and, you know, they're not, it's not going to work. But others were like, this is probably one of the most exciting driver pairings on the grid. One of the strongest driver pairings on the grid. Yet, to then have speculation that, oh, you know, one of them needs to be turf to bring someone like Hamilton in. It's not going to solve your problems. And again the fact that these upgrades were indeed a colossal failure. No, we need to stop talking about drivers and, and you know, all the show pony stuff. Ferrari need to get their act together and, you know, Fred, poor Fred, he's come in, you know, thinking he's got the dream job or whatever and, you know, they look worse than they did this time last year, let's say that, for example, because at least this time last year they were still kind of in contention to win races here and there, but it's looking much worse than that at the moment. We also had Lando Norris, former McLaren star, season best third in qualifying. So, you know, that again, they had some upgrades that they had brought to Baku and, you know, couldn't quite, you know, see them work in Imola because of the race cancellation and Monaco, not really the kind of the... Um, a representative track to see those upgrades and yeah Miami was in there somewhere too <laughs> um but yeah they were strong in qualifying both of the McLarens they both ended up in Q3 good effort from Oscar Piastri as well um but 
for Lando, poor thing, contact with Hamilton on the first lap, pretty much ruined his race and then consigned him to the rear of the field. He damaged his front wing and couldn't really recover from that. And, you know, not saying that Lando would have finished on the podium. It, it was a it was a sort of a pipe dream that, you know, perhaps he might have been able to hold on. Uh, but I think, you know, the pace that they did show in the race, both of the McLarens, they, you know, Lando would have been lucky to score points, I think, on the day. Oscar, as we know, um, ended up outside the points at the end of it. But, um, you know... They seem to have unlocked some qualifying pace. It's just the race pace they need to to get their head around at the moment. So that was poor Lando's race. Um, looking at the pit stops then, Carlos came in on lap 16. Max came in on lap 27, of course, because he was on the medium tyre and there's the difference in everything. They all went on for the hards. Um, and then Max comes in again on lap 53 for soft tyres. Uh, Mercedes, they looked strong in the second stint. You know, they had better race pace than Ferrari. George Russell had qualified in 12th and was able to gain five positions on the opening lap, which did raise the eyebrows of uh, Christian Horner. Thought that he might have, um, you know, benefited from going on the, you know, cutting across the runoff or using the, the long lap penalty lane, which MotoGP uses. Uh, which is just on the outside of the turn ones and turns one and two, um, but there was no investigation or no further action from the steward, so he kind of did just legitimately <laughs> um, gain those positions. But uh, what great race pace from Mercedes! You know they were able to look after their tires a lot more better than Aston Martin, even which is uh, something I didn't think I would say um this year but you know they both did a good job they were stronger than ferrari and signs just looked like a sitting duck and it was pretty horrible watching him go back but you know for him to then come home fifth i guess that's somewhat respectable um checo sergio perez as well struggling again in qualifying and ended up in 11th so again you know the knives are out on checo and um his future at red bull just two races in a row that he's not been able to get it together in qualifying but he was able to you know make more of an effort than he could have in monaco with the drs and passing here and Got to say, opening up that final chicane has made it quite good, and there was a lot of overtaking, um, which perhaps doesn't get as much praise as it, you know, should. But again, you know, we're not watching the Formula One World Championship to, you know, see spectacular racing between, you know, the midfield. We want to see that towards the front of the field, and when your leading driver is twenty four seconds ahead of the second place car, then, you know, regardless of how many overtakes there are in the race, people are always gonna, you know, be critical of the fact that, yeah, one team is so far ahead of, of the rest. So, you know, there's that debate again. But uh, Checo struggling again you know, came back and finished fourth. He, you know, was, I think, three seconds adrift of, of Russell in the end from the podium. So, you know, there was a ch slight chance that he could have come back and finished on the podium. Uh, but again, you know, putting yourself on the back foot and qualifying is not going to ever be a good thing. And I don't know if, if you know, there's 
pressure on him or if it's just if it's just media speculation you know i know there's i've heard numerous rants and you know people digging into perez and whatnot but i mean yes the romantic would like to see someone like daniel ricardo back in f1 and you know in a red bull car for example but is it going to be much of an upgrade on perez perhaps yes ricardo in his prime definitely would have but you know, we're kind of well past it and, you know, the last two years at McLaren were quite difficult and his prime sort of slipped away from him. So I just think where they are in the championship at the moment, you know, they're miles ahead, you know, and Checo is still picking up points. He's won two races this season as well, um, which is a, a good start, I guess. You're not going to ever you're not ever going to be in contention to beat Max, I guess, in the same car is is the thing I'm trying to say, particularly for a driver like Checo. He's good. He's not a great. <laughs> and I think that's sometimes we need to just go back and, um, you know, get our heads out of the clouds and realise that, yes, you know, he's, he's a good driver. He's not great. Yes, it's a shame. Yes, it's a shame that Red Bull chewed through two really good young drivers that they had in their um, junior pools, Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon. But, you know, I think that's just the way that Red Bull work and they wouldn't have been given another chance. And I don't think that they will ever be given another chance to um, actually show themselves and put themselves in that car, even though Albon does still carry Red Bull sponsorship. And I do believe that's probably mostly through his tie links than anything but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how Checo fares later on in the season. Um, he had the measure of the Ferraris, as I said, too. Leclerc, going to him, ended up with a pit lane start. As I said, the troubles with the car still unknown. But at the end of the day, he still didn't score points. He finished in 11th, outside the points. Um, pretty lackluster weekend overall for him. And again, just dismal for Ferrari in general and where things are at the moment suggestions that Aston Martin may you know end up finishing behind Ferrari in the championship you know that this was a reality check for Aston Martin who've had a stellar start to the season I really don't know because Ferrari just don't look very convincing yes Aston had a you know probably their worst race of the season um Alonso could have qualified higher up the grid but did damage his floor during Q1 on on you know on his outlap coming out of the final corner going through the gravel uh and qualified ninth and you know for whatever reason in the race lacked the race pace as well and and Lance Stroll ended up you know out qualifying his teammate out racing his teammate too um I still think that Aston will probably finish ahead of Ferrari, and I, I could be wrong, and I like being proven wrong as well, you know, I don't I don't cry about it afterwards, um, but it will also come down to, you know, how, how Stroll fares as well, and, you know, while this was a good showing from him, and yes, there was critics, and I did criticise him after Monaco, where he did look a bit silly through the race, that, you know, he's he's an important part of scoring points and making sure this team finishes higher up. Finishing sixth this time was a good result, so hopefully we'll get to see more of him 
um, feature because that's what the team will need. It can't just be a one-horse race as we saw with McLaren over the last couple of years when they were fighting for fourth or third in the Constructors' Championship. <clears throat> Alonso, though, um, you know, kind of conceded that his possible attempt of, at passing his teammate, he's just like, oh, you know, I'll just settle for seventh, let you finish in sixth slant. So still a solid haul of points, still um, ahead of Leclerc, of course. So that's where I feel like, you know, they'll probably you know, edge them out as the season goes on, but it just depends, you know, Ferrari can unlock something from upgrades further along the season and, you know, actually get on top of all their problems, then yeah, it'll be a different story, but where where Aston are at at the moment, they've, they're in a stronger position points-wise, they look to have the better car, and, you know, perhaps this was just going to be a bogey track for them, and, you know, even though I said that Barcelona is a good indicator of how your car will feature um, elsewhere over the year, maybe, you know, Aston is probably better off uh, on those tracks with, um, you know, slow speed corners and no no sort of high speed bends, you know, the traditional circuits and whatnot, so... We'll see how they fare later on. Um, a lot of people gave driver of the day to Guan Yu Zhou, uh, and you can see why. Qualified 13th and finished P9. He, you know, arguably had one of his best races, you've got to say, in his career. And the fact that, you know, he's really, I don't want to say wiping the floor, but it, it is kind of true that he is comprehensively um, having a better time of it at the moment than, sorry, I've just lost for words, uh, having a better time of it at the moment than Valtteri Bottas is, you know, 10-time Grand Prix winning teammate, former Mercedes driver, and whatnot. It's it's kind of mind-boggling and, you know, talking about or hearing it on the Grid Talk podcast as well that... Um, <clears throat> Bottas has kind of, since going to Alfa Romeo, or, or more in particular this year, um, in his second year at Alfa Romeo, has kind of regressed into Kimi Raikkonen, his, his um, compatriot, um, how Kimi was in his last two years, really, um, in F1. And not saying that, you know, this is going to be Bottas's last year, I hope not. He's, he's great value and him, you know, pretty much becoming an Australian, token Australian this year as well, um, with the mullet and the moustache and everything has been great entertainment value, but it, at the end of the day, F1's not about, um, you know, being a show pony, it's about results on the track, and, you know, yes, it's kind of a holding pattern that the Sauber team are in at the moment, of course, we, they lose the Alfa Romeo title sponsorship, um, next year sounds like that's going to go to the Haas team which will be interesting so Haas Alfa Romeo Alfa Romeo Haas um but you know it's all about 2026 and we heard some news as well uh during the week about a statement of intent signing by Alfa Romeo so Andreas Seidel the CEO has brought over um, his old technical director from McLaren, James Key, who of course was sacked by McLaren um, under their new leadership structure this year. So it's quite interesting that, um, you know, Seidel and, and Alfa Romeo, or sorry, I should say the Sauber Audi group, um, see Key as being a 
key asset, um, excuse the pun, um, where McLaren didn't. And, you know, there's a whole debate out there as well about, you know, James Key in general, the fact that, you know, when you look at Red Bull, of course he was aligned with he was aligned with Red Bull in the past, being technical director at Toro Rosso, Alpha Tauri. Um you know, why if he was so highly esteemed, why was he never sort of brought into the senior Red Bull team, you know, with with guys like, you know, Dan Fallows and Rob Marshall, who's now gone to McLaren and Fallows, of course, at Aston Martin. Peter Padromu at the time as well, um, years ago before he went over to McLaren, you know, all these, you know, people that Adrian knew he had, James Key was never one of them. So it's an interesting question and the, and the jury's still out whether, you know, he really has what it takes. But I think a lot of people have a lot of ill thought about McLaren and their management and, you know, they want to say Zach Brown's this, Zach Brown's that, he did Dan Dirty, yada, yada, yada. So I guess the jury's out until we see um, him, uh, James Key, that is, at Audi in 2026, you know, how does the car roll out then? Because it's going to be a lot more pressure than there was at McLaren, um, being a factory team representing one of the biggest automotive brands in the world, you know, with the Volkswagen Audi group. They've made it no secret that they want to hit the ground running and, you know, they want to be at the front um, as they have been in other categories when you look at them in, in, in WEC in the past and in Formula E and whatnot, you know, they always do quite well. So the fact that, you know, they're calling this already a statement of intent, signing uh, Key as their technical, uh, technical director, technical director, <laughs> um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of all unfolds. And yeah, there'll be a lot, there'll be a lot more to talk about in terms of Audi, you know, as the year goes on, because there's going to be conjecture over drivers and, and other key personnel. Um, with, you know, the signing of Key as well, it, um, they did announce that um, Yan Moncho, the current technical director, the incumbent who's been with them for quite some time, will leave his post, uh, unfortunately. So hopefully he can resurface somewhere else. But um, yeah, going back to going back to Joe, though, <laughs> great effort to finish P9. He was betwixt the Alpines. Um, Esteban Ocon 8, Pierre Gasly 10th. So... They did quite well considering did Alfa Romeo and Alpine did say they scored double points. Good for them. Bit messy for Pierre Gasly though in qualifying. He ended up with two, uh, two, three place grid penalties. So a total of six places um, penalized for impeding on two different occasions during qualifying. But he still was able to recover and finish in the points, which was good for him. Uh, going back to Joe, though, he was involved in a late incident with Yuki Tsunoda um, at Turn 1. To be fair, though, given the fact that Yuki was actually penalised and a lot of people were heartbroken for him when they saw his full-on figure in the paddock after missing out on some points, it was a really good drive from, from Tsunoda. Otherwise, um, looking at the incident, you know, I feel like there was nowhere for either driver to go there. It's always tricky going into that turn one and two complex. Um, and, you know, poor Sonoda ends up out of the points, finishing 12th with that five-second penalty that he had at the end. We've already talked about McLaren and, um, yeah, Piastri as well fell away um, 
quite badly in the race, finished 13th, and um, similar for Nico Hulkenberg as well in the Haas, he qualified 7th, he's been really good in qualifying so far this year, quite a couple of top 10, you know, starts for him, but then, you know, fell away to 15th, and his teammate Kevin Magnussen down in 18th, and I'm sure there'll be more chat about Magnussen as the season goes on if the results stay the same because Hulkenberg has kind of come in, you know, after a couple of years on the sidelines, mind you, and who who makes an F1 comeback after, you know, uh, after, you know, that many years on the sideline unless you're someone like a Michael Schumacher or Fernando Alonso or Kimi Raikkonen who've actually got results on the board but for, you know, a midfield specialist like Hulkenberg to come back and, you know, to be performing where he is, is is quite something. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be some question marks over Magnussen as well. Um, finishing behind Magnussen, Bottas 19th and Logan Sargent 20th in the Williams while Albon was up in 16th. So there was the Spanish Grand Prix. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm still optimistic that there will be someone else who can win a race this year, perhaps not even in a Red Bull, so, you know, I'm going to just hold that optimism until it cannot be held, which will be after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, and then we can kind of do a post post um, mortem on that. So, looking ahead to Canada now, always a race that I enjoy, I love Canada, the country in general, um, and, you know, it's always a bummer these days, because pre-pandemic, Canada always used to be on this long weekend for us, so, you know, the fact that it starts at 4am on, on on the Monday, the fact that I'd have the rest of the day off was just awesome, but because of, um, you know, the rejigging of the calendar after COVID and when, and when Canada did return in 2022, it was the week after, so yeah, I don't get that long weekend, you know, Monday public holiday benefit unfortunately so um but still it's a great race so many good memories from it um 2011 obviously being the highlight with that mammoth you know marathon of a race in the wet conditions and you know that's what i that's what i mean you know if you want to talk about being optimistic you know and you could accuse me of being a fool for this but holding out hope until the very last lap you know that oh, you know, Jensen Button's had such a horrible race, but he's in there, he's closing, he's getting he's getting up there, and he, you know, he's still with Sebastian Vettel. And then Vettel makes a mistake, and it's over, and Button wins the race. You know, after four hours of, you know, watching, you know, Button toil, for example. So that's what I mean with optimism, that, you know, you just have to continue to be have that belief, and maybe someone will do a Jensen Button 2011, um, at, at 2011 Canada at some stage this season, where they will take a win out of Verstappen and, and Red Bull, so, yeah, there's that, there's 2014 as well, Daniel Ricciardo's first win in F1, such a magical moment that, um, and, you know, watching the Mercedes kind of implode, Nico Rosberg did finish on the podium, though, at the end, and, uh, Sebastian Vettel third, as well there was the five-year anniversary as well I think five years has it been since 2019 um the infamous sort of switcheroo in Park Ferme with Vettel 
copying that penalty and him switching the the number one and two boards around because he felt like he shouldn't have been penalised in that battle with Hamilton. So a lot of great races, a lot of great memories, of course. There's a wall of champions, which always claims a scalp here or there. Um, but, yeah, looking at where the point situation is, I mean, you know, not the... F- not that I'm like, oh, you know, Checo needs to get his act together and to get back into the title championship. It's more so pointing out where Verstappen is at the moment in terms of his form. The gap between the two in the points was six after Baku, and three races later after Barcelona, it's out to 53 points. So that is absolutely, you know, phenomenal effort from Verstappen, but also when you look at the mistakes that uh, Perez has made as well, Monaco and and again in um, Barcelona with qualifying, that all kind of adds up and this is how Max will get that gain on you and this is exactly what happened last year as well with Leclerc because Verstappen was, what, 46 points down after his retirement in Australia and then, you know, he was able to overturn that and then almost double that points lead by the end of the season over Leclerc to comprehensively win the championship. So, you know, I don't think that the championship is going to be in doubt for Verstappen. It's just an inevitability. He's like Thanos, we say. Um, he's, you know, one of the most powerful beings in the universe at the moment. Probably not quite the universe, but, you know, in the Formula One world, certainly. Verstappen is the king. Um, but yeah, you know, what if we get a absolute cracker of a race in Canada what if Red Bull have some reliability issues like Mercedes did back in 2014 you know I don't think there's rain forecast so I can't say it'll be a 2011-esque race but yeah what if there is some sort of uh you know reliability problems that um you know kind of get them in trouble and we see someone sneak through you know Lewis Hamilton has certainly won quite a few races around here um he loves it in Canada Michael Schumacher of course I think still the most winningest driver in in Canada so yeah it's always a great race I love you know coming back to some of these traditional circuits that you know whilst yes the popularity that everyone's going through at the moment has meant that there have been sellouts and everything um, crowd-wise. Um, but yeah, you know, circuits with a lot more history than, say, Miami, Las Vegas, and all that other garbage. Um, anyway, that's about it, I, I think. You know, I think I've done pretty well. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, good to kind of be back doing some podcasting as well after some pretty, pretty rough times uh, earlier on. But um, yeah... Be sure to um, give us a follow on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. There's also a link tree in every uh, show as well, and on the Twitter account to all the other things that do. So the live blogs and articles that I write for the Raw, um, the Grid Talk podcast as well. Definitely check them out, F One Chronicle, uh, and yeah, Instagram things like that as well. And um, I shall return after the Canadian Grand Prix and also supercars as well will be on in Darwin. So we'll talk about that and, you know, hope you guys have a good weekend and also 24 hour Le Mans on this weekend too. So enjoy that if you're going to be watching. (laughs) Thank you and see you next time.